following is a production of the Event Safety Alliance. Welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez, your host. I'm joined today with Steve Edelman, the VP of the Event Safety Alliance, and our dear friend Ken Keberly, who I'll give a bigger introduction to later. Uh, Today is June 5th, and if you have not yet seen it, yesterday the ESA had released a statement regarding our position on the social unrest and the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, it can be found on our website and our social media platforms um, and other channels like that. Uh, There are some great resources there to help learn and support people doing the the really hard work of the moment. Um, So, and speaking of the moment, uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of go back to basics because we have two really big force majeure events going on and they are steve uh they are COVID 19 and civil insurrection so you know for those of you who have not yet managed to get to that part of your contract language and the boilerplate provisions at the end um, man is this a fine time to figure out that force majeure is a thing because normally we don't even have to deal with one and right now we are dealing with two force majeure events at the same time. And that's why if things feel like they're really messed up in our society, they are. Thank you. So we're going to talk about risk assessments. And for that, we have a subject matter expert, Ken Keberly, the safety and training manager at Rhino Staging and Event Solutions. He is quite fabulous. And he is going to talk to us about how to use OSHA resources and the event safety guide and how to plan for the risks that are reasonable under our circumstances so that our plans are robust so that when we do get these larger black swan or force majeure events, we can adjust our plans to react to them in in the safest way possible. Okay, so Ken, now that I've given you a little bit of a, a running start, Go ahead and, and, and tell us where to start. Where to start? Well, thanks for having me. This is a great conversation. This, sometimes we have to go back to the basics. And a lot of what we want to do to build the future is go back to our foundational skill set when it comes to moving forward as an industry. You know, a lot of our future is going to be built on what we've learned this week. Well, we look around and say, okay, what can we deal with on a regular basis? We know that these, these force majeure events happen, but by and large, um, as Steve said, what's foreseeable, what's reasonable. So the, we, today I wanted to take a, a few minutes and visit on some of the basic concepts. One is risk assessment and inspection of the workplace. Um, that's one of, the, one of the skill sets that pretty much every safety professional can agree on is foundational. What do we have to worry about? How bad can it get? And what do we look for? So and, yes. and can we agree that everyone should be participating in these, not just your safety officer? That everyone- oh, absolutely. Everybody has input on risk assessment. Excellent. As a matter of fact, that, that's, that's, that's a great point. It's like everybody has input. You know, you can learn from everybody on a gig. Right? Everybody knows something. And, and about the time you start thinking you have all the answers, 
Oh my gosh, that's an invitation. That that's hubris <laughs> on a on a whole other level, right? So, but it's a basic skill set, and if you can communicate that well and understand the expectations that go along with it with an effective risk assessment, it gives you a really good place to do all your other planning. Yeah, we look at force majeure events, but then also look at things. You cannot write an emergency action plan for every possible situation. You can't. But then you also have to be able to reasonably take take apart the things that are not going to show up in your world. Dinosaur fatalities are way down, right? But Small so, blessings. <laughs> exactly. Well, go for them. Take the blessings that come along your way. So we want to take a look at the risk assessment process as just that. It's an assessment. There's a way to do it in an organized manner. It, it, sometimes it takes a bit of creativity. You know, there's a lot of what ifs that go into it. But it also takes uh, a certain level-headedness when you're doing a risk assessment, right? Meteorites, pretty rare occurrence. That's not something we're going to spend a lot of time worrying about. You know, asteroid strikes like that. So, you know, the, the risk assessment process is based on what could possibly happen, how bad can it get, and then how do we verify those things. And then, more importantly, once we identify those risks, uh, we want to go back and inspect on a regular basis, you know, before, during, and after an event. How did we do, right? Was our risk assessment on point? Which will have to be said for looking at it after the fact as well. So that's kind of where I want to go with this. So I'm going to get as many safety professionals on board with this very basic skill set. So no matter who travels from one city to another, risk assessment is something that we can all agree on, is something we should look at and put into our back pocket. So the history of, of risk assessment there's no particular call out in OSHA regulations for risk assessment, you know, except when it comes out to identifying a need for, for personal protective equipment. That's the only place it shows up. Uh, the Event Safety Alliance, when, when the guide was written, uh, they looked at risk assessment as a very necessary part of event safety. And there's some real significant call outs when the event safety guide was written. Uh, some are very, very specific, like the need for fire risk assessment. Right. Here's your risk. Here's the likelihood. Take a look at that. And then there's some that are in general terms. So the, the, the Event Safety Alliance was really ahead of the game when it came to send, putting down the, these guidelines. You know, they put it early in the book. It's something we should all look at. Um, and then we also have a whole lot of other resources that we can bring to bear to make the risk assessment more effective. The best way to look at it, and one of the easiest ways to, to, to take the risk assessment is you look at it as how bad can it get and how likely is it to occur? So every one of us in our daily lives, we're, we're good at doing risk assessments, right? You don't let your, your three-year-old juggle kitchen knives. Have you been in my house again? I've I don't have a three-year-old. It's fine. Right. Risk <laughs> but yeah, we do. We do risk assessments all the time. Crossing the street, driving your car, deciding cooking. if you could. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, letting people eat what I've cooked. Right. So risk assessments come into that. It, that's a that's a very um, general way of looking at the need for risk assessment. What the ESA did is it gave us a very specific place to understand it. And then we started coming up with a risk matrix. And that became a, a very standardized way for safety professionals or anyone to look at risks, right? And it's simply a big square going out along one side. The horizontal axis, uh, for instance, might be the likelihood of an event. The other axes may be the impact of that event. 
So when we look at hazards, hazards are conditions that are out there. Risk is what, how it's going to impact our world. And we look at it from the standpoint of your matrix can be very, very specific. And sometimes the more specific, the better. Sometimes a great way to use that matrix, whether it's a five by five square ranging from not going to happen ever, ever, ever to, yeah, it's probably going to happen tomorrow. You know, somewhere along that line, so that's that's the frequency or the likelihood. And you look at the impact from eh, mosquito bite to a big black smoking hole where my events I used to be. So, Ken, I, I've seen risk matrices like this, and usually the formula is something like risk equals vulnerability times consequences. So vulnerability will be one axis, consequences will be the other. But there's there's sort of a false mathematical precision to that because we do take steps to mitigate risks, even risks that are exceedingly unlikely if the effect would be totally catastrophic. You know, nuclear war, exceedingly unlikely, but the consequences would be so bad that the people who think about these things take steps to mitigate those risks. You're not talking about that. You're talking about things that are reasonably foreseeable, that are in the differential for a normal event on a normal day when the world is still spinning fairly normally on its axis. Aren't you? Right. Exactly. Because, again, what do you have to worry about? You're, the risk matrix is a great way to allocate resources, right? And you start with it being reasonable. Right. This is my event space for this weekend in June. I'm not going to worry about asteroids, but for this weekend in June, I'm going to worry about a thunderstorm. Now, how likely is that? OK, well, it depends where I am. So you make it specific, as specific as you need to and or as specific as you can. Uh, mathematical certainty, that's we could call that an oxymoron. Right. There is no certainty. But it gives you a guidance to, to allocate resources in a reasonable manner. So safety listeners out in the world, if you Google risk matrices, you can find some examples online to sort of get a visual of what we're talking about, especially for a visual learner. Um, some people color code them. Some people use math. Uh, and there's, a, there's probably as many scenarios and types as there are examples in the world. But yeah, we you can do a risk assessment of how likely it is that Danielle Hernandez is going to trip on things. And we can risk it from Danielle's going to trip over her dog. Danielle's going to trip over a chalk line. Both those things I have done. Um, all the way up to Danielle is going to trip over an elephant in her backyard. That is highly unlikely because I live in South Carolina and there are no elephants in my backyard. All right. But now let's think about it this way. When we take the like, not only the likelihood, but then we look at the severity. Correct. So like, if I trip over a chalk line, probably I'm okay. If I trip over my dog, I might sprain my ankle. If I trip over an elephant, there's all sorts of hazards in that. I'm, I'm just running through the physics of that scenario in my head, and I can't even I begin know. to rip. Exactly. But, you know, so, um, Shiny object. Exactly. Let's, <laughs> anyway. let's, let's take that out of the Let's go on back. So the risk matrix can be simple, three by three, five by five, depending on what you want to do. Can be as, as as focused as you can make it. Again, without getting caught into the idea of this is exactly what's going to happen, because there is no this is exactly what's going to happen in life. All the matrix does is it gives you okay, it's highly unlikely, 
and there's very little consequence to it, I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over it. Or I'm in Tornado Alley and I'm doing an outdoor event and it's April or May, right? My, term, my tornado plan better be robust because I have a highly impact event and I have a high likelihood based on the historics of the weather patterns in my, in my neighborhood. Right now, so it the helps us allocate resources exactly. and it helps us figure out what parts of our plans need to be the most robust. Exactly so, right? So we've got that. How, how bad is it and, and how likely is it? So that, that's the basics of a risk matrix. Again, you can drill that down, but use that as your tool. That's the conversational start. That's the resource start. And then you're going to take that information, build your emergency action plans. It's a guide. Don't spend a lot of time writing an emergency action plan for something that's not going to show up or is so likely that it's a waste of your resources. Now, at the end of the day, an event is only as good as the people that can put it on, they can have the input. Like the other side of that is if you're wasting resources, you don't have the good stuff when you need it. We've spent all our money on bear spray, but we're in the Florida Keys. Okay. You probably are going to wish you had that money back when you're looking for air horns to evacuate the area and you didn't have any, have those on hand. So resource allocation matters. Yeah, and, and to that point, Ken, one of the things that ESA has always focused on is the low-hanging fruit, the risks that are fairly easy to mitigate um, using resources that are either free or readily available because we have them for other things. You know, you can spend a lot of time trying to mitigate a risk which is either unlikely or incredibly difficult to manage. But at the end of the day, the most effective thing that you can do is mitigate the risks that are most likely to occur using resources that you are most likely to have. That, that's where the impact is going to come in. Exactly. You're going to take care of the most, mo the most number of people in the most effective way with the most effective use of your resources. So there's, that's one of the real values of the, the matrix. And also it lets you communicate to your people. Time is money. More importantly, time is the most precious resource we have. So let's not waste people's time with it. So then you take that same information and then you want to double check it. You want to talk to people that know their stuff. And now everybody's an expert in something. Avail yourself to that. Free resources are great. I love Steve's approach to, to free because a lot of these checklists, uh, risk matrices, all that stuff you can find, a lot of them are in the event safety guide. FEMA is great. The, the, uh, the guide to uh, special, special event contingency planning from FEMA, great resource. Their job book has dozens of great matrices available to use those right if you want to make three by three five by five whatever works for you and, and uh, we will uh go ahead and put those in the show notes sure so that you can uh, find them after the pod is over so, um, so once you get that scored away then those start developing action items matrices like emergency action plans like anything get them off of the paper we're supposed to be people of action safety people should be people of action you identify these things and, and then you start verifying that those risks actually do occur on your on your facility or your event site or in your building. So you build your inspection list. How are we going to identify these things? Okay. Well, if it's a thunderstorm list, let's go back and double check our math. Right? And if I'm looking at if I just thought it was a real high likelihood of it, and then I looked at the weather map and I realized we're in the middle of a drought. And then the 10-day forecast is, is clear and the three-day forecast is clear. 
right? I'm verifying the action items that my, that my hazard analysis has identified. So that's cool, right? You move that forward, you turn these into action items. If you want to do active inspections, that's got to be a critical element too. Right, because right? how else can you assess the risks if you haven't done your inspections? Right. Now, if the likelihood is, hey, people are going to get hurt falling off the front of the stage, okay, and then I will walk out there and the stairs that I thought there weren't installed yet, I now have a higher risk of that. And then I want to mitigate that risk. Well, let's get a ladder on the front of the stage and secure it so it's easy to use and people aren't going to fall off it. So the inspection process is huge. Um, and the inspection process should be done as part of your pre-site survey. You know, go in there ahead of time before the event even, you know, that's part of your planning process. So you go through, you do your inspections, whether you use a checklist, um, whether, you know, divide it up functionally. Here's the, the checklist that all my electricians are going to use or divide it up by geography, right? Here's the loading dock. Here's the loading galley. Here's the backstage checklist. Make those checklists effective, right? And then turn those also into action items. Make them useful. Don't write a checklist just to have a checklist because that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, there's a danger of a checklist being something that's such a project that people just tick all the boxes and say, yeah, I did it. Yeah. The best checklists I've ever seen are, are relatively short and require people to do something. Exactly. They're, they're manageable. There's action items. What I like to do is when you write a checklist, don't, uh, one example is fire extinguishers. Don't just say fire extinguishers with a checkbox, spell it out. Fire extinguishers are charged, hung and placed appropriately. And then a comment line. Wait, I have an empty bracket, or I saw a fire extinguisher that isn't charged. So that's noted in your checklist. And then that becomes an action item as well. Right? Again, checklists that just get filed without uh, actually taking the, st- the time to mitigate the, the risk, that's a waste of your time. Ken, who should be doing the inspecting? Is, is there some... Is there some person, you know, does, does the incident command system suggest a title or a role, or is this something that people just get to make up? What I thought was interesting, the, the event safety guide, I hate to keep harping on this, but it's such a good document. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Available for free, by the way, at eventsafetyalliance.org. Yeah, and, and, and free is good. So the event safety guy did a great job. They actually called out a role. So here's the safety coordinator, right? They're, they actually made the job. This is, was it 10 years ago now? No, it's 2014. Really? It yeah. seems so long ago. Lots um, happened in the world. <laughs> yeah. So the event, somebody's got to do it, and it should be an assigned task. Whether you call that person a safety coordinator or becomes the, the job, job project manager, whatever, somebody owns that role. Um, the, the inspection should be done by people who know what they're looking for, right? If so, you- so let me play this out then. So let's say I'm the safety coordinator. It's my job to make sure that whoever's supposed to be inspecting the man lift inspects the man lift. Sure. That I give them their checklist and I solve any problems they find because they're the end user and theoretically the expert on the equipment they're going to be using. Sure. Is that correct? Or, or, yeah, or if you know how to do it, you do it. Whatever. Well, sure. As, as long as it's being done by someone who has the competency or the training to do it correctly. And in, in, OSHA has a very specific definition of a competent person. It's someone Ooh, let's who hear a, it. I don't know what it is. 
Okay, let's not hear it. Jacob, cut okay. this part out. Well, that was like... Like, <laughs> yeah. has a very specific... Okay, no, it's someone who has the training, education, or experience to do to identify the hazard, and someone who has the authority to mitigate that hazard. So training and education and authority are the two components of a competent person. Okay. All right. So, so you mentioned OSHA. Let's right. talk a little. Let, let's. I don't want to get too lost in OSHA because uh, that can go on for a while. But let's uh, talk about who OSHA cares about. What those regulations or guidances or standards. Let's talk about who they're for and what they're supposed to do. See, and this is where OSHA and the Event Safety Alliance differ greatly. And this is a critical diversion. OSHA is concerned about the employees. That is their mission. Right, it's very, very narrow in scope. The Event Safety Alliance from day one, we made our mission so wide and our mission so very, very uh, basic. Did anybody else get the tattoo that says life safety first? <laughs> it is on all of our gear, all of our logos. Uh, not so, sure about tattoos. Okay, so don't it's tell me I'm the only one that they can talk into on that one. Okay, so yeah, life safety first. Right, that's been a motto of the NFDA. There's a lot of us, we share that mission. It's a very simple mission to state. It's a very, it's very easy difficult, to say. Easy to say, hard to pull off. Yeah. But as event safety professionals, you're worried about everybody. OSHA worries about employees and the workplace. We're worried about everybody that shows up. We're worried about the, the act on stage. We're worried about concession people coming on board. We're worried about the crowd. Um, the crew, everything. If, if you're breathing and you're in, in, uh, anywhere near my facility, I'm worried about you. And that's my job. And that's what we sign up to do. Absolutely. If I don't, if I don't know how to do your job, if I don't know how to inspect the fly rail in a theater, I better find somebody who does and we'll work together. Right. And then you get to learn something. It's fun. It, yeah, it's absolutely. Right? So Ken, is, is that why it's a safety coordinator? because they don't have to know everything or do everything themselves, but rather they have to know who is going to know something or who is going to do something? Sure. I don't know who came up with the name in the book. I love it. works for me. It's so better than, better than whatever. You know, you're the dude. Okay, sure. But safety coordinator does that. It, it allows conversations to happen, and conversations turn into actions. However that is, the keeper of the clipboard, as long as you're somewhat a person of action, who can, who can work with people, that's what the safety coordinator does. But again, every job is going to be different. We cannot, you know, what's that word we use? Reasonably foresee, right? If, if I'm doing a, a, an event somewhere, I'm going to know that world really well. And I'm going to write my job hazard analysis based on that world. And I'm going to have people to understand it that are going to do my inspections, turn it into action items, mitigate the hazards, eliminate them if I can, and then also take the same information when I do the inspection. I'm going to identify hazards in the moment, fix them if I can. If not, flag them for action and then identify who's going to close the book on that action. Or I'm going to take that information back to the, the, the site leader, who, whoever that person is, going, here's an issue. We cannot be, we, our, our emergency action plan says, Everybody's going out that doorway, but I don't know if you noticed it, but that's where all the elephants are parked, right? So, however, and, and that was a real thing actually in the Ringling Fire. Um, so, your inspections are going to change 
several factors as you move forward because they're done in the moment. They're real-time inspections. And as hazards come up, they can be um, identified, mitigated, eliminated in real time. So they're less of a hazard. But they still need to be documented, right? Because this is a learning tool. Right. Yes, because sometimes your inspection next time tells you what happened in the past and, and we can actually learn from history as opposed to just getting stuck in this cycle of endless repetition. Um, you, you said something that I want to dive a little deeper on. In OSHA, there's something called the hierarchy of controls. And that is a very fancy way of saying, how are we going to handle that risk? Okay. And right now, PPE is a big thing in the world. Uh, because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Okay. Can we talk about different ways to handle risks? Sure. Um, hierarchy of control shows up in a lot of places. Um, it's, it's a simple concept. What it means is we're going to look at, at how we're going to fix this thing. How We're going to identify the hazard. Um, first thing we're going to do is we're going to try and eliminate the hazard if we can. Uh, if we can't have elimination, how about substitution? Is there another tool we can use another work practice, another chemical that doesn't have the same hazards associated with it. After that, we go to what are called engineering controls, which really terrifies people. But all an engineering control is changing the environment, right? If there's a fall risk, a guardrail, right? A guardrail doesn't require your attention, doesn't require you to change your habits. It's just a place for you to walk that's going to guard you as a walk safely. It eliminates the fall hazard without you having to do anything. That's an engineering control. Um, if you've gone to the grocery, the, the plexiglass sneeze shields, right, the, to protect uh, or to, to minimize the risk of air transmissibility, right? So those plexiglass shields, that's an engineering control. Below that, and every time we run out of one control, then we have to bring it a step down. We have what are called administrative controls. Administrative controls is changing the work process, changing behavior of the individuals, so is that the tape on the floor saying, say, six feet, stand here? Well, that would be, be an assistance to an administrative control. The administrative control is requiring six feet of distance between everybody, right? The tape on the floor is just a way to go, that's what six feet looks like instead of going fingertip to fingertip, okay? So, <laughs> Which yeah. defeats the permanence. <laughs> right, exactly. So anything you do, that's an administrative control. You're making it easier for people to understand or you're requiring it, right? If you have an exposure to an employee, they can't, they can't uh, be exposed to a loud noise uh, over a certain level, over a certain amount of time. Maybe you split that job into two different people, so there's less exposure. That's an administrative control. Below that, that's when we go into PPE. And, and, and say to people always say, it's a court of last resort. If, I, if yeah. I can't do anything else, I've got to figure out the PPE, the personal protective equipment. And it's got to be appropriate to the action. So right? the risk is still there. Risk we're is just, still there. We haven't just... been able to identify it. And whatever that is, uh, an inspection will go. The inspection can either tell you that you have the right controls in place, that they've been done correctly, or you identify the places where they need to be. I found an edge 10 feet off the ground. Okay, let's get a guardrail on that. Then when you do your inspection, the guardrail is missing or it's been damaged. Then you go, okay, what are, what are my other options here? Can I bring the work to the ground? So there's all the ways, but the administrative, the, the, the hierarchy of controls, that's a very simple way that we, you know, and we use pyramids because 
we like looking at pyramids. Ask Maslow. Shapes right? are fun. Shapes are fun. <laughs> um, and that's why we need Elmo as a safety professional. Right? Oh, no. Uh -uh. <laughs> so the peer, that's what that is. That's what the hierarchy of controls Thank is. You. We're looking for ways just to, to make it better. Um, PPE is always squishy. That's not a technical term, but it works for me. It means it's hard to enforce. It's hard to make happen. People, right? And all you've had to look is, is the oxygen mask on an airplane when it drops. How many people have actually shot videos of themselves while the, while the masks are deployed and their mask is on wrong? You know, it doesn't cover their nose, their nose and mouth, and which the flight attendant pretty clearly spelled out that's what it, the way it should be used. So PPE is really low on the list of, on, of the hierarchy of controls because people are squishy and they don't follow rules. But Can that's you, okay. Your example actually raises something that I have long thought about and I'm starting to think about again because I have to fly next month, which I'm terrified about, which is training. So what we've been talking about so far is risk assessment, planning, and the person who does the inspecting. What about training people so that they actually have done the things that you want them to be able to do if there is a risk that needs to be addressed? Training is critical, and anytime you bring someone onto your event site, it's called out in a couple of different places. It's required by regulation. But more importantly, it's the only way to get things done. Right? The last thing you want to hear from an employee when they got hurt is, I didn't know. Nobody told me about that. You, you got an issue there. Did, did, you do the, did, you, did you do the inspection? Yep. Can you show me? Yep. Hey, that's a really cool inspection. Did you check the, the rollover protection device? I must have because I put a check on it. You want to show me what it is? Huh. Is that the wheels? No. Okay, good. So verifying the training occurred, and training is a whole nother subject. Um, you know, coming soon to a pod near you, <laughs> or or just let's not go. But the idea is, if you're going to do a risk analysis, have the people that know how to do it. If they don't have the the knowledge, the requisite knowledge, training, and education, do that. Find the right people, right? And, your, and your risk analysis may be done by a team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Is it, Fabulous. If you have people that aren't experienced in doing this, have them help you. Exactly. You're they're sharing gonna, they're going to bring experience. fresh eyes, right? And fresh they're going to start to learn how to do it. Right. Now, here's the other thing. People get very blind to their environment. Yes. Right? So bringing fresh eyes on, along on a job inspection, right, or an inspection, that's huge. That's one of the things I tell all of my student workers. It's like, I'm here all the time. Well, right now, I'm not because... <laughs> nobody's in pandemic okay. um uh yeah but uh <laughs> but normally i tell them it's like i'm here all the time i start to not see the things because i'm here all the time and i'm counting on you that if you see something and it makes you just question it ask me because you may see something that i'm not seeing because i see it all the time and it doesn't matter if nothing's wrong you know if if you're like why is that cable there and I can tell you why. That's great. If the cable's not supposed to be there, well, all of a sudden we've solved a problem before it had a chance to become a true hazard. Exactly. Fresh eyes are amazing. Mm -hmm. And there's so many benefits to having somebody new to the work environment to ask the questions, right? And then sometimes just you verbalizing the situation makes you rethink it. Yeah. I've right? had that happen, actually, in the, the cable situation. Why is that cable there? We could do that a different way. 
Exactly. So having that fresh set of eyes, and then it also um, it builds your team, right? Yep. We want to we want to build a robust future for our industry. We want to build a, a higher level of professionalism as we move forward, and we only do that by teaching by example. And right? we also want to empower all the people on our site, no matter their role, to feel free to identify things that are issues in the environment. Absolutely. So and that's, if that's if a they're involved, thing. yeah, and. and that's what this all comes back to is, is in instituting a safety culture across the industry. Right. Just empowerment, right? We, we, we've done this uh, for the last 10 years with see something, say something, which I think I owed New Jersey like a quarter for saying that, but whatever. <laughs> right. It's the same methodology, identifying the hazard, something that's different in your environment, recognizing that it's different in your environment, and then realizing that that why is it different and what is its possible impact on me? A black backpack left next to the finish line of the Boston Marathon had significant impact. A black backpack left at the bottom of, at the back of a school bus means the sixth grader got off their bus too quick. Same condition, different context, different impact. Yep. So those are the things we want to look at. We want it, we want these to be robust conversations that lead to action. And that's the that is, that's the basic skill set, the basic mind of a safety practitioner, an event safety professional. When we go through both the hazard analysis and the inspection process, Ken, a question that I get asked a lot when I'm talking about legal stuff, I, I'm going to vary it for risk assessment purposes. Question I get asked a lot is: Is there a, a template for what you're talking about, Steve? So. You know, people are asking, you know, is there a contract? Like, is there a force majeure provision that, that will work for everyone? So, Ken Keberly, is there a risk assessment form that, you know, you think works for everybody? Is there some generic thing for, you know, a venue that doesn't currently have a risk assessment written down? So, because the matrix is so wonderfully vague, it's so wonderfully useful. If you can understand a tic-tac-toe board, you can understand risk assessment, right? Then you bring it into your world. So the template is there. Yes, we learned it in third grade. It's called a tic-tac-toe board. So instead of an X's and O's, it's severity and likelihood, frequency and impact. Vulnerability and criticality were the ways I would thought this. So yeah, there's a template. Uh, go to the Event Safety Alliance Guide. Take a look at the weather guide. Take a look at everything from uh, Homeland Security. Take, take a look at their class. There's a lot of templates out there. Use so, those, but it will not fit every single situation. And I think that's very, very much to, to Steve's point. Not one size does not fit all, right? Whether it's PPE or risk assessments, one size does not fit all. And that's a pretty critical element. If you try and force something to fit, something's got to give. So, so you can use the tic-tac-toe board, but you have to put in your actual risks and hazards and likelihoods. Absolutely. Because where I am, thunderstorms are likely in the summer in the afternoon. Right. I don't have any idea how likely they are in Arizona. But that's just what the template is for, to Steve's point. It's a template. You yeah. fill in the blanks. What, what's my ideal situation? Eliminating the hazard. Well, that's not going to happen. Is there a substitution? Right. So use all those elements, all the tools at your disposal. But understand that, and the point of this podcast was just that, is to understand the basics of risk assessment, inspection, 
You brought the pyramid, the hierarchy of controls in. Thank you for that, right? So that's a great tool. All those things come together to make an effective conversation. And if we're all on the same board or speaking the same language, that matrix works well. I don't care if it's in French, Italian, or English. You can use the same skill set. So use all these skills. You guys are doing an amazing job spreading the word. Go back and use these skills to, to just make sure that we're all operating at a slightly higher plane. If, some, if a crew's coming over from Belgium, they see a risk matrix for the first time. It's not a foreign language. It's a simple tool that we're all going to agree on. So. so there's one specific risk that right now we're, we're hyper-focused on basically virus mitigation. Um, so we're talking about increased cleaning and sanitation and, and all of these things. Can you talk a little bit about how good cleaning practices are actually in a really important step, not just for virus control, but in keeping a clean event site workspace. See, the thing about being a, a safety practitioner is you know when you're out of your league. I'm not a virologist. Right. right? And so, I'm not actually talking about the virus part. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> housekeeping, right? So let, let's bring it back to your risk matrix. If I need to evacuate a building, I need to make sure that all my aisleways are clear and all my exitways are clear. That's the housekeeping control. Right? If I'm working in a, in a situation with bloodborne pathogens, right? if I do a, a martial arts event and there's a possibility of somebody getting a bloody nose, then I have bloodborne pathogens as a risk on moving the equipment. Then I have to have, come up with a mitigation plan. How is that going to be identified and controlled? Making it specific to your risk. When we talk about COVID-19, there's still a lot of stuff we're learning. Absolutely. We still have a lot of answers that, we, that we're searching for. Now, the interesting part for those of us that have, that have lived long enough is we understand how accelerated this understanding has happened in such a context compared to previous pandemics. Okay. So housekeeping, all those things, if you build your risk matrix, understand what the, what the risk is, the, the impact, what's my crowd look like? Right? If I'm worried about social distancing, I'm going to have a hard time doing an event that has a whole bunch of 10-year-olds at it. Disney on Ice is going to be a tough gig. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and yeah, but the housekeeping, you build that into your, into your job hazard analysis or your hazard analysis. Sure. We, we know we cannot eliminate it. We know we cannot substitute it. Um, engineering control, that's fine because that is sort of eliminating it. But how do you measure the effectiveness of your of your controls, right? Are you having someone that is actually doing a facility survey, right? Are they doing swab and surface testing? We don't know if you, you know, what's in the spray bottle? How is it effective? So and I would say something for everyone to keep in mind is good housekeeping is critical, as, as Ken said, for egress. It's also critical in terms of job site safety. If you are constantly maintaining a clean stage deck, just to be as you know, in a specific venue. If all of a sudden there's loose hardware on the floor, that is telling you something. Sure. That if you have a dirty workspace, all of a sudden hardware on the floor isn't a signal to inspect something, isn't a sign to check something. Um, if you let food trash pile up, you're going to end up with rodent control 
problems and you you would end up with safety issues for your workers and for your guests. Sure. There's all sorts of housekeeping things that I just don't want us to lose track of because right now we're so focused on viral mitigation, which as I said, we don't know exactly how successful that's being because we are working it out in real time. But we know that a water bottle, the clear water bottles, my my bane of my existence. Yeah. I'm a, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I've picked up thousands, right? Just that because if someone steps on a, on a uh, water bottle, they're going to roll an ankle or they can break a leg. And if they're on the stage deck, they break that leg and they fall into the orchestra pit. The paperwork's horrendous, right? So pick up the water bottle. Right? Make it easy for people to be easy. And then when you do your inspection, think about that. All right, you know water bottles are going to show up. Right, do we have enough trash receptacles? And is it easy for people to get to them? Right. So safety should be easy. That's identified in your inspection. Right. If house cleaning is part of it, make sure that the inspection is still done. How do we verify it happened? There's a lot of there's a lot that goes into it, but it all starts with that same conversation. How likely? How bad? And how do I make sure? Excellent. Trust, trust but verify. Trust but verify is a wonderful place to end our conversation today. So thank you so much, Ken. Uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Jacob, for doing our wonderful editing and making us sound fabulous. Uh, we will be having Ken back. So look forward to him coming soon a second time. Maybe we'll talk about training. Maybe we'll talk about the world is our oyster. Um, if you guys have any questions, you know, because there's a lot going on right now in the world. If you have any questions about any of our guidance, about any safety risks that you see, feel free to go back to the old stuff, slip strips and falls, rigging, etc. cetera. Uh, feel free to email us at info at eventsafetyalliance.org. And thank you all. Be safe in the world, everybody. 